0: would prevent us from receiving your truth, and we pray that you would drive home everything that would help us to believe and live and rejoice and be faithful, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today is the seventh uh, study in our series, What Christians Believe. You can see it on the picture there. Um, Our source material is the Apostles' Creed, and this morning we're looking at what one writer describes as six thunderous words. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the things I believe we've discovered in our series is that it's actually very difficult to say the Creed in church and be fully aware of what we're saying. There is just so much in it. And so for that reason, I wonder what goes through your mind when you say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I wonder if in the back of your mind you're saying, well, the Holy Spirit is a very meaningful person, Or I wonder whether you're saying the Holy Spirit is actually a very mysterious subject. Are you the sort of person who's able to say, I know the Holy Spirit, the comforter? Or would you say, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the Holy Spirit is a complete stranger? Uh, Fifty years ago, the Holy Spirit was, I think, the forgotten member of the Trinity, Back then, uh, the focus in churches in the West, at any rate, was on the Father and on the Son, but not so much on the Holy Spirit. But then in about 1970, the explosion of the Pentecostal and the charismatic movements changed all that. And almost overnight, uh, churches in all denominations were talking about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit and miracles and prophecies, and speaking in tongues. And all of that continued until about the year 2000. And now today, many churches that used to be thought of as Holy Spirit churches are actually all about music and self-fulfillment. In other words, it's all about me and my experience. For that reason, it's Important, I think, that we ask ourselves, is the Holy Spirit still working in the same way today as he did in the early church? Is he pleased with churches where the emphasis is all on the music? Is he pleased with churches where the emphasis is all on me and my experience? And, of course, at the same time, we should also ask, Is the Holy Spirit pleased with a church like St. Barnabas, where the emphasis is on Bible teaching and Bible living? I'm sure you'll agree with me, these are important questions. So let's get started. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And uh, we've already discovered that the Trinity is not something that was dreamed up by believers because the New Testament talks explicitly about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as three persons, but one God, a tri-unity or trinity. Now, although there's a great deal we could say about the Holy Spirit, we're actually going to limit ourselves this morning to just two points. The person of the Holy Spirit and then the work of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to spend most of our time on the second point. You'll notice the Apostles' Creed actually says very little about the Holy Spirit. We've already seen in our series the Creed has 73 words about Jesus Christ, only six words on the Holy Spirit. And perhaps the reason for that is that the Holy Spirit prefers to shine the spotlight onto the Father and the Son. So firstly then this morning, the person of the Holy Spirit. Do I need to say that the Holy Spirit is a person? Do I need to say that to you? I think I probably do. Because the Holy Spirit, you see, is not an energy or a force or a power, or a liquid. Uh, You know, when the Bible talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, we're not to imagine that uh, the Holy Spirit is, is a liquid that we can have some of without having all of him. No, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's God from all eternity. He's been in fellowship with the Father and the Son forever, and he's been involved with the Father and the Son in the creating and revealing and saving work of God from the beginning. So I'm sure you know he's introduced to us right at the very beginning of the Bible in only the second verse, where we're told the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, the waters of chaos. And he's there again right at the very end of the Bible where we're told that the Spirit is crying out with the people of God for the return of Jesus Christ. Therefore, friends, you must teach yourself to think of him as a person. Teach yourself to think of him as him, not it. People sometimes fall into the trap of referring to the Holy Spirit as it. That is irreverent. Please don't do it. How do we know that the Holy Spirit is a person? Well, the Lord Jesus always refers to him as he. For example, uh, John chapters 14 to 16, there's an awful lot of teaching by Jesus on the person of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus consistently refers to him as. He, and uh, for you students from the Bible College, what I think is interesting about that is that the word for spirit in Greek is neuter, and therefore grammatically the pronoun referring to him should also be neuter, it, but Jesus of course chooses good theology over grammar and Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as he. He. So he says, he will live in you. He will teach you. He will witness for you. He will convict the world. He will glorify me. And uh, the Bible also teaches us that the Holy Spirit does things that only a person can do. He guides, he thinks, he feels, he grieves as any other person would. And uh, if you are a believer here this morning, I want you, as a result of this sermon, and I'm going to try and do the same, to keep preaching to yourself this week, God by his spirit lives in me. Because you see, it's not just about God above, and it's not just about God walking on earth in the person of Jesus for three years. No, it's God living in me this morning by his Spirit, And if he's going to comfort me, that means to strengthen me, it's because he's a person. The other thing then to say about the Holy Spirit is that he is God. He's divine. He shares the character of the Father and the Son. And that's why the Bible keeps putting them together. Um, I'm sure you remember that Jesus said to his disciples... I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one name. Name in the Bible means nature. Three persons, one nature. Or you know that familiar blessing that we often say at the end of 2 Corinthians the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. So the Bible regularly and naturally puts the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together. And in one extraordinary verse in John chapter 14, Uh, Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit to his disciples, and he says this I will not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. That strange language on the lips of Jesus, he's speaking as a father. I will make sure you are not orphans. I will come to you. And of course, there he's not talking about his return. He's saying, I will come and take up residence in you by the Holy Spirit. And elsewhere, Jesus says, if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, you are blaspheming against God and you can't be forgiven because you're rejecting and refusing the Savior and the life giver. And if that's you, there is no hope for you. So when we think about the Holy Spirit, we need to be thinking two things, person and God. And for all time, he's been involved in creation, revelation, and salvation. So that's the person of the Holy Spirit. And now we'll spend a moment or two longer thinking about the work of the Holy Spirit Now, someone who has written with tremendous clarity on this subject is John Stott. Uh, John Stott is in heaven now, but for many years he was rector of a very large church in London and a great Christian leader around the world. He's the author of about 50 books, and this is what he wrote in regard to the work of the Holy Spirit. And I hope, Sylvester, this will appear on the screen. In regard to Jesus, the Spirit glorifies. In regard to Christians, the Spirit sanctifies. In regard to the church, the Spirit edifies. And in regard to the world, the Spirit evangelizes. Now, if you know anything at all about the work of John Stott, you'll recognize that that is absolutely typical of his genius, and the tidiness of his brain. So as we think about the work of the Holy Spirit, Sylvester, if you wouldn't mind putting that back up on the screen, I'm going to borrow those four headings. Let's just leave that up there. Firstly, how does the Spirit glorify Jesus? John chapter 16, verse 14, Jesus says, The Holy Spirit will glorify me. One of the ways he does that is by causing the Old Testament scriptures to point forward to the coming of the Messiah. Uh, So, for example, Isaiah chapter 40 says, prepare the way for the Lord. And then 700 years later, Mark, in his gospel, quotes that verse and says, Isaiah was talking about Christ. And then, of course, the Spirit was at work in the apostles, causing them to preach about Jesus and then write about Jesus. And so Paul in Colossians 1 writes, "...we proclaim Jesus, teaching and admonishing everyone, so that we may present everyone perfect and mature in Christ." And, of course, the Holy Spirit works through believers today in countless ways, as he always has done, pointing people to Jesus. Now, I've always loved the way that John the Baptist did this. Uh, John the Baptist would say to his followers, there's the Lamb of God over there. Leave me and go and follow him. And if we're Christians here this morning, that's what we ought to be doing Whether we're pastors, or preachers, or parents, or friends, we need to say to the people that we're teaching, don't get stuck with me. That would be a huge mistake. Go and do business with Jesus Christ. So when a a parent is uh, reading the Bible with a child at bedtime, and they say, you need to trust Jesus, That is the Holy Spirit at work through the parent, helping the child to go to Jesus for themselves. Uh, Dr. J. I. Packer tells a a rather lovely story of a time when he was asked to preach on the work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, as he set off for the church, he was still racking his brains for a decent illustration to show how the Spirit does his work and glorifies Christ. And he couldn't think of one. But then as he drove up outside the church building, the floodlights in the church were on. It was probably only 3 o'clock in the afternoon, but in the UK, that's when it goes dark. And the lights were shining up onto the church building. And Jim Packer says that was his illustration. Because the Holy Spirit points away from himself so that people, listen carefully, so that people will know something about Jesus Christ, why he is to be trusted, why he is to be obeyed, why he is to be loved, why we are to be grateful for him until that person gives themselves to Christ and belongs to him and finds him to be perfectly sufficient. And therefore, in all of our various ministries, the question we always need to ask ourselves is this, If we do this, will Jesus be honored? So the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. Second, the Holy Spirit sanctifies believers. What does that mean? It means the Holy Spirit works in the life of every believer to make us more and more like Christ. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, we are being transformed into his likeness, the likeness of Jesus, with ever-increasing glory by the Holy Spirit. And uh, elsewhere, Paul talks about the Christian being a mini-temple in which Christ lives by his Spirit. Now, you may be thinking this morning, well, I'm not sure whether this is true for me or not because quite honestly I can't feel the Holy Spirit working within me. But let me assure you the Holy Spirit is at work in the life of every believer whether they feel it or not. Because as soon as you give your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior you immediately have a Savior you immediately have a Father and you immediately have the Holy Spirit living within you. You cannot have two members of the Trinity. It's three or nothing. How do you know whether the Holy Spirit is living within you? Well, you won't be helped by trying to work out whether the fruit of the Spirit is ripening in your life or not. I mean, if you run through that ninefold fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, as a sort of checklist and say, are these things ripening in me? Please don't do it because you will only get depressed. And it's no good saying, well, do you know what? I'm very gifted, so the Holy Spirit must be living in me because from time to time our gifts will let us down. So how do we know? whether the Holy Spirit is living within us. Well, we know because he, the third person of the Trinity, causes us to call out to the first person of the Trinity and to address him as Father. And you can chase up the scripture on that in Romans 8. And the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, also causes us to confess that the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, is Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you can look it up later. So that's how you know. The third person of the Trinity, the Spirit, causes us to have confidence in the first and the second person of the Trinity. And that means You know, you can go home after the service and you can kneel down by your bed or shut the door in your study or wherever it is and you can call out, Heavenly Father. And you can say those words from your heart because the Holy Spirit is at work in you. Or you can say, Lord Jesus, and mean it because the Holy Spirit is at work in you. So, have you got it? The Holy Spirit reassures you that God is your father and Jesus is your Lord. Now, of course, the Holy Spirit also helps you to pray. Uh, We're told in Romans chapter 8 that we don't really know how to pray and that we're really rather feeble at it. And we know that to be true in our own experience, don't we? that the Holy Spirit takes our prayers in all their weakness and presents them to the Father in a very meaningful and wonderful way. And the Holy Spirit also helps us to grow in holiness. So we find that there are times when he reduces the power of particular temptations and he increases our desire to be godly. Of course, we... We wish he'd do that more often, but uh, we we know what that experience is like. And I think, actually, it's one of the great privileges of being a Christian to watch other Christians become more like Christ. I mean, just think of your own life. Someone you know becomes a Christian, and perhaps they used to be a very angry person or a very selfish person, or a very greedy person. And over time, you can see that the Holy Spirit makes them more loving and more peaceful and more wise. So therefore, dear friends, we must thank God for the Spirit's work in us. And one of the things that I personally love about the Holy Spirit is that he doesn't allow me to get comfortable in my sin. Um, I think that, well, I am aware that there are certain sins that I'd like to be allowed to indulge, get on with in private, but the Holy Spirit just won't let me do it. He keeps causing me to be torn and unhappy with sin and come back to Christ and to forgiveness and to joy. And um, the very wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit is that although he will not drive out all of our sin in this life, therefore, unfortunately, we will continue to sin until the day that we die, and we'll see it in one another, our sin will never drive out the Holy Spirit. One day the Holy Spirit will drive out all our sin and we'll find ourselves standing before Christ with no sin in us, but in this world, sin will never drive out the Holy Spirit in your heart. And that's a great great comfort. Because you might fall and fail in a terrible way and you might think to yourself, well, I've driven out the Spirit. Friends, that is not true. It's impossible. Jesus said he is in you forever. John 14, verse 16. So be thankful for the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit edifies the church. That means he builds the church up. He causes it to grow. How does he do it? Well, the main way the Spirit does it is through the Word of God, the Bible. So I'm sure you'll remember that the Apostle Paul identifies the Word of God as the sword of the... Spirit, Ephesians 6, 17. So think of it this way. When a batsman walks out to the crease to score runs, he walks out with a bat. When the Holy Spirit goes to work, he goes to work with the Word. And the Word of God is to to be proclaimed to the people of God in order that every believer, all of us, myself included, might be equipped to use our gifts in order to build one another up because the Spirit of God works through the Word of God to build up the people of God. So this week I was thankful to have been asked to attend a think tank of senior ministers who are considering a proposal to strengthen preaching in Cape Town and I'm very thankful for that. Because if the pastor is not teaching the word of God, and many of them are not, the church will go in a very strange direction, because the Holy Spirit won't be at work. And then at the individual level, once you're converted, the word of God suddenly becomes meaningful to you. Before it was double Dutch, suddenly you understand it. And once you've understood the gospel... Uh, you know that God has given you at least one gift, probably several gifts. And you find yourself saying, Lord, how should I use this gift among your people for your praise? And by the way, if you've never done that, uh, the way to do it, dear friends, is to ask yourself, How has God made me? How has He wired me? What do I enjoy doing? Please don't ask yourself, can I do something miraculous? Because most of the spiritual gifts listed in the New Testament are not miraculous. Rather, ask yourself a question like this Am I a good organizer? Uh, Am I a good encourager? Has God given me resources that I can use to be a generous person? Has God given me a home that I can use for hospitality? One of you here this morning has the marvelous gift of posting timely, loving birthday greetings on the church WhatsApp group. And that is a lovely, lovely ministry because it means a lot to us when our birthday comes around. But I want to say to you this morning that every single Christian is gifted by God and the church is built up when the people of God use their gifts. It is not going to happen if you are simply a passenger. You have to say to yourself, how do I contribute to the well-being of the church family? And it's not going to happen if you're away from the people of God week after week after week. You're going to have to be involved exercising your gifts. So, the, the Spirit works with the Word to get our thinking clear so that we use our gifts to build build up one another so that God gets the praise. And the Spirit is very clever. You see, he brings the church together to hear the word, to understand it, and then he builds us up in the truth so that we do our work more and more effectively. What then does a church look like that is being built up by the Holy Spirit? Well, I'm sure you know this, but let me make the point. It's got nothing to do with the building. Uh, You might be in a terrible building. We might be in a marvelous building. It's not the church. The church is the people. So what does the church look like that's being built up by the Holy Spirit? Friends, it means that we're concerned for the glory of Jesus Christ, because he deserves it. And we're concerned that we be sanctified because we need it. And we're concerned that the church be edified and be made spiritually strong and mature, because when that happens, it overflows into the world in countless different ways. And now the final thing this morning is that the Holy Spirit evangelizes the world, meaning, of course, the unbelieving world. Some of you, I think, are old enough to remember the actress Shirley Temple. Uh, Shirley Temple was a famous childhood movie star back in the 1930s. And I recently heard a rather amusing story that Shirley Temple stopped believing in Santa Claus when he asked her for her autograph. I mean, that must have been a rather weird moment, don't you think? Mum and Dad take her down to the department store, and she sits on Santa's knee, and he recognises her from her films, and he says, please, can I have your autograph? And at the tender age of six, she sees right through Santa as a myth. Now, dear friends, the world is never going to be able to say that about Jesus Christ. It is not going to happen. We can always be 150% confident of the truthfulness of the New Testament message. But of course, we know that we're living today in a world that is either ignorant of the message or hostile to the message. But you see, the Holy Spirit is not put off by that. He continues to lead the evangelism of the world. How does he do it? He does it by using people like us. That's why in John chapter 15, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will testify, and to the disciples, you also will testify. And I, for one, am extremely thankful that the Holy Spirit is the one who is driving world evangelism, because it's not up to the bishops, And it's not up to the pastors. And it's not even up to evangelists like the late Billy Graham. The Holy Spirit is in charge of world evangelism. And he's a genius. He knows exactly how to do it. So he prepares people to listen even when they're not expecting it. John chapter 16. And he prepares people to speak. John chapter 15. And he breaks up the ground, which is hard. And he causes those seeds of the gospel to be dropped in. Perhaps the most famous example in the Bible is the example of Nicodemus. I'm sure you know the story. Do you remember he came to see the Lord Jesus? Nicodemus was a religious expert. But uh, at that stage, he was quite obviously without life and without the Holy Spirit. Do you remember he came to Jesus at night? Because he didn't want his friends to know he was doing it. But he's interested in Jesus. And so he says to him, We know you're a good man. Well, of course, Jesus isn't interested in that kind of waffle. And he says to him, You need to be born again. And uh, Nicodemus replies, Well, that's ridiculous. How could that possibly happen? And I wonder if you remember what the Lord Jesus says. He says the spirit, like a gale, like a cyclone, like a tornado, works to change people's lives. And that, of course, is precisely what happened to Nicodemus. Because by the end of the gospel, at the moment when it was most dangerous to be known as a friend of Christ, Nicodemus comes out of the shadows and he goes with Joseph of Arimathea to Pilate to ask for the body of Jesus to give him a decent burial. It's a great example, isn't it? So the Holy Spirit reaches out to people all around the world using servants and witnesses. And friends, let me end with this. We must recognize that we have not been given the Holy Spirit in order to own the Holy Spirit if I can put it that way, but that he might own us. You know, we don't possess the Holy Spirit. No, no. He possesses us. We are, in a very real sense, a possessed people. We've been loved by God. We've been made new by God. We've been called to be signposts for God. And friends, if you've never tasted this, it is the best privilege in the whole world. To do it in the home, to do it with other believers, to do it with people who come to church but have never heard about these things, to be his representatives. It is a great privilege. And so, in a sense, the one who gave his life for us gave his life to us. And the Holy Spirit is at work to glorify Jesus, to sanctify believers, to edify the church, and to evangelize the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your many gifts to us. We thank you for the great gift of your Son. We thank you for the wonderful gift of your Holy Spirit. And we pray that as he works, he would bring glory to Jesus, holiness to your people, strength to your church, and the rescue of the lost. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. Well, I'm going to ask the music team to come forward.